When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to episode 11 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, I'm joined by a new friend, fellow co-host of Conspiracy Theatre 3000, and someone who isn't afraid to go deep on any given subject, sharing with his listeners hours upon hours of research. He's a staple in the podcasting community, an all-around good guy. Let us welcome Andy Rouse of the Deep Share podcast. Andy, welcome. Dude, true. That was like the nicest intro I've ever heard. Thank you, man. I really appreciate being here. And no I love that we're doing our show together with Bob. It's going to be awesome when everybody hears it. Yeah, I think our first episode is going to make waves. That was just so fun for me. And I think that a lot of people enjoy it. Yeah, man. It's just going to be so fun to just do that endlessly. And it'll give us a little break from the deep, dark conspiracy stuff that we usually get into, you know? That's right. You've got to pop your head out of the rabbit hole sometimes to get some air, don't you? <laughs> it's inevitable just like right. me i took like two months off recently because i just needed a, you know i was still doing research but i just needed a breather from the public facing side of it you know yeah and i think that brings us to what our conversation is today you were delving into a topic that's it's so in-depth and so dynamic changing and shifting on what people's understanding of history is that i could easily see myself just having to take some time off and and step back and reevaluate things. So I brought yeah. you on today to talk about Box Saga. Yes, Box Saga, otherwise yeah. known as the Vinamoinen mythology. Right. Now, so this is something that I have a surface level understanding of. Um, mm-hmm. I studied history in university and I have a, a love of history, so I'll research things myself. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Robert Zeppa's works, um, Humanity with Amnesia, Gods with Amnesia, that type of work. So I definitely see, and I think a lot of people are at this point now where they know that, you know, history is a lie, right? The greatest saying is history is written by the victors. But with right. Box Saga, it goes that step further, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It, um, that's a great way to start off too, because it's kind of like the Box Saga, whether it's 100% absolutely true, true or it alludes to a lot of things and it has connections to a lot of things that are true it um it paints a picture that basically says our hidden history is fake history you know (laughs) but i mean that's also not even that far-fetched these days because like you were saying i mean we have so many different narratives even in the alternative history uh arena if you will you know so it's like we're kind of always um sifting through like 
what really adds up and what doesn't. And it takes such a long time because there's so many different angles and perspectives and layers to everything in the past. And you always end up running into things that you didn't expect or, I don't know, just kind of break everything apart that you were, you know, hoping to figure out or something, you know, it's just, it's endless. Yeah. And I think we, everyone kind of gets to the point where it's exciting looking down rabbit holes and looking at alternative history and finding out that history might be a lie, but eventually you black pill yourself in your own research. And you think about the things you might follow, like um, Sitchin and I people where, where it's about planet X and the Anunnaki eventually you get to a point where you start to question your own research and go, if mainstream history could be a lie, What's to stop everything I've researched from also being a lie? Yeah, at least a good aspect of it. Um, Especially when you get into the dynamics. Like, it's fun to be into alternative history, and it's fun to be into conspiracy. And it's interesting to see that a lot of traditional people in those two categories not always cross over. At least from the alternative history side of things, it almost seems like there's a line that gets drawn in the sand often, or at least... Uh, you know, in the past 20, 30 years, it seems that, you know, I think it's, um, it's probably a little bit of fear or, you know, I don't want to go too, too far. You know, let's break a little bit of this system. Let's not go all the way because, you know, I won't be taken seriously or something like that. There's probably a lot of reasons for it, but it seems like the alternative history side of things, we kind of have to look at controlled opposition and that plays a big part of it. And also our our poorly under our poor understanding of ancient symbolism because i think that even if the box saga has you know 30 percent of it to be true it would of course be the root language that we'll get into and and a lot of their symbolism and things like that and it's the reason why it's intriguing is because we find so many other uh, myths and folklore from the north the, you know the northern hemisphere in general that relate the same way and it kind of fills in blanks that these other stories kind of leave up to mysticism so in that regard it's like we would hypothetically have to rethink all of the symbolism that we take as originating from say sumer and all the persian gulf area like those and and the semitic languages and everything that was going on there we kind of consider the beginning of our religious myth mythology you know and it goes back so much further than that but it's so broken apart and everybody's got a little piece, right? Graham Hancock seems to be doing incredible work on, you know, exposing the idea of an ice age society, but that's pretty much it, right? And then you have others in the field that are also incredible that are describing the cultures that we might suppose were this ice age um, group, right? But Many of those people kind of go off in one direction or another, you know, it's still mythology or it's, they take it to an alien area, which is fine. I used to do it all the time. And that was my thing. I love, I'm part of the UFO community. I have been forever. I'm just kind of a little thorn in its side right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's, uh, to me, it's revealing more human history than anything else. And and that's the conflict and the challenge people either they face when they find they come across it themselves or they back away and they go with what's comfortable. What I really like about box saga only delving my toes in the water so far is that it hits a lot of key areas that I find really intriguing specifically around um, language and how language is used over time as a form of telling stories orally. 
which Mm -hmm. for me that links back so well to what Indigenous Australian history is all about. It's an oral language culture for the mainstream is the oldest continuous culture in the world. So if Box Saga is doing the same thing, drawing on aspects of language code and um, phonetic language to use to tell its story, I think that's all the more intriguing and potentially gives it a lot more plausibility than a lot of people would um, give it credit for. Yeah, well said, man. I, I totally agree. The idea, and I believe, I don't know too much about the Aboriginal culture in Australia, but at the same time, I can only imagine that they probably have spiritual myths that could rel- could probably, I could probably rope into the theories that I have, or the hypotheses that I have going on. Yeah, um, ma- do they have we- myths of like star people or, or light beings or anything they, like they that? They do. There's uh, bun bun lights, which are lights that are protected, um, orbs in particular that are seen around campsites and around people. There's mm-hmm. um, what are seen as spirits, which on the cave art are depicted as what a stereotypical grey looks like with a large almond shaped eyes and big head. It's mm-hmm. a lot of those tropes that you see across other cultures, even though Australia is so far separated from the rest of the world, it still has a lot of elements which you could um, identify and really narrow down in what Northern Hemisphere mythology would be, mm, which, is, which is really an unpopular um, opinion or take on it because it is such a, a protected and ancient culture here in Australia. To compare it to anything else is a bit taboo at the moment. I can imagine. Uh, and likewise for everything right comparative religion always gets a it's a really bad rap and uh you know the catholics attack everybody doesn't like their you know taking people's toys away and i and that sounds like degrading in a way but it's not it's just how we are as humans like we kind of you know if a lot of the things that i have serious convictions on suddenly are just taken from me it's it's a little it's, it's tough right you know but at the same time we have to kind of we can't get, we can't fall in love with the information we're given. You know, we have to remain objective as much as we can. And that's why like with the box saga, especially it's so, so controversial and there's not much to go on. Right. I mean, if you look deep enough, there's a lot to go on, but I mean, to, to explain it to an audience and convince someone or something, that's kind of not what, what the box saga can do. It's more like a, there's some really intriguing aspects to it that will definitely catch people's ear and they'll have to look in deeper themselves and, and see if they kind of have the, the, the broad understanding of history maybe, or symbolism or both that they can at least see the, the strong connections that are being made. It's, it takes a lot and it takes a while too, but it's, it intrigued me from day one with Atlantis. There's um, some healthy scepticism I think you need to have going into anything. And if you were to just take Box Saga on its face value, unfortunately, like you said, unless you dive into it deeply and really do the research and give it the due diligence, there's aspects of it which can deter people. And you find that in all kinds of um, topics in conspiracy theory. Flat Earth is yeah. a big one for Flat it. Earth, Ta- I was thinking that. Uh, Tart- Tartari is another one. Um, yep. But I think Box Saga is starting to come into its own a little bit, especially when we see those elements of phonetic language and shared history. And it's kind of uh, a quilt work, stitching different parts together and hopefully in that forming a broader picture like a tapestry of what history could have been. 
But before we get too yeah. far ahead into it, um, you've got clearly more of an understanding than I do, and I've got a surface level understanding. But maybe sure, our yeah. listeners haven't heard this before. This is going to be a hard one. I know it's easier said Always. than done. But what is a short <laughs> breakdown of what Fox Saga is? Uh, yeah, and this is great. I love coming on other shows and doing this, even if people are trying to find Box Saga stuff and they're hearing me do it over and over again. They're probably noticing that I'm starting to maybe get a little bit more cohesive with it. Maybe not. But to try to simplify it for people, I would say, so it's a finished story. It starts with one family and it's all kind of held together by a sound system, which is uh, referred to as the root language. And this finished story supposedly, or well, literally it puts the human race back millions of years. So you already have, you know, you have to stretch your imagination already. You have to suspend disbelief from many layers of what we're told, even in alternative history, you have to be like, well, wait a minute. So that right off the bat is pretty intense. It includes many, many, many of our current ideas about history that are not accepted but kind of put together in a different way so atlantis is a big part of it but it changes the idea of atlantis completely but at the same time keeps it the same um a lot of uh our typical mythology that we get out of um european cultures is embedded in the box saga and you know, it's easy to kind of think that someone could have made this all up and just connected what they knew about other religions. But the man who brought this to the world, Eeyore Bach, um, it would have taken him far longer to do that than I think he had time for with all the things that he was doing uh, in his personal life. But um, yeah, see, I'm already kind of rambling into different areas <laughs> of it. It's... um. It's well, an it's alternative so, history. It's basically. so broad, isn't it? And I think that's the as- story of the heathen people. Yeah, the aspect of it, I think that is its greatest obstacle within the current world in which we live in, especially after a certain mustached artist from Austria, is that you discuss anything about um, a prehistorical Caucasoid people or a <laughs> proto European or the buzzword Aryan, people yep. instantly shut off. It becomes oh, instantly yeah. a white supremacy angle and people yep. aren't willing to indulge it. But, you know, white people have a history as well. No matter where it comes from, we need to understand what that is. And right. for the broadest um, context of the world, that's going to help the rest of humanity understand who we are. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I keep thinking of like different memes to make with like funny things about this saying, what a what a weird time in history to learn real history (laughs) in regards to this uh, because this the box saga is not the only angle either it's interesting that since i learned about the box saga like a year and a half ago so many other uh things are popping up that allude to the same thing this origin in the north and it just it goes into so many different things i don't know like how deep into the box saga should we go like we're like because the root language itself would be like three hours to talk about yeah, itself, well, but well how about we, we go down this route then i've got a couple of questions um that i haven't looked into it yet myself but i thought i'd just pick your brain about it Hell yeah. okay bring it on man all right so this one's a big one for me i with all the research i've done and the things that i've looked into and my just general knowledge and research there was definitely different um, species of subhumans on the planet. 
all at one point. Uh, almost like a Lord of the Rings type of world where we had small, shorter people, larger people, what have you. Yeah. According to the mainstream scientific method, there were at least 12 different pre-hominid human beings living on Earth at any given time. Um, that includes the uh, Australopithecines, which were the more ape-like people. They made up the first four, and the following numbers were what you would consider to be more modern humans. We had the Hobbit, Homo florensis, which is the small hobbit person, um, Habilis, Erectus, Archaic, Cro-Magnon, and Homo sapien. The last three being probably the most modern human, air quotes, which I find really interesting because it's 12 different types of humans all at once, and the 12 number is quite relevant when you look into biblical scriptures as well as um, other historical mythologies. In the biblical text, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and we just happened to find 12 different subspecies of humans. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is there anything replicated or seen in Boxaga along those lines? Oh, sorry, you there? Oh, yeah, there you are. There we go. Yeah, I was I just, just thought, say, everything I just, froze. I thought you were in a deep moment of thought there because you were staring at me. <laughs> Same um, with you. I was like, all right. Is that replicated in Box Saga at all, the idea of there being different humans all at once that aren't what are considered modern humans? Um, No, I haven't heard that out of any of the, the Box Saga direct information. However, there is, of course, the very extremely controversial origin of humanity itself, which comes from a goat and an ape, which is very interesting. I have a weird theory about it, but I think... Well, now I have to hear it. You can't just say a goat and an ape and then just leave it. Tell me what your theory is. Let me me try to extrapolate this. Um, The broader scale of the Box Saga story is kind of relaying this cover-up of old history, of course, um, primarily by people that wanted the heathen and pagan cultures destroyed. And we know who they are. <laughs> and um, we know that the Catholic Church was the one that came up with the Big Bang. You know, he was a priest or whatever, or a pope, right? I can't I think he was, a, he was a Catholic um, a bishop or a priest or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. It's all it his way of explaining that, yeah. the universe was. Right, right. And it's just so you look at evolution, you look at Darwin's theory, and it's always like incomplete, but it's really close. Like it's still, it's definitely not fact. It's still a theory. So people fucking still argue about it. But obviously, something's going on with evolution. It makes sense that things evolve, everything evolves and moves to it towards its final form, if you will. But at the same time, it's not complete, you know? And it's always curious that the goat is always the symbol for the heathen the pagan culture the, the baphomet and, right and of course it's turned satanic and luciferian and um see my take on it is that you know we kind of we know that the catholic church is extremely fucked up and shady and we knew they took over the fucking world and destroyed everything and hijacked everything yet we in the com- conspiracy community we love to listen to them about paganism and heathenism as if it was actually evil and the catholic church is telling the truth about it for some reason and the goat's always that symbol meanwhile maybe evolution itself is this box saga idea or something like it but they're repressing the goat side of it because (laughs) 
that's what they've done for thousands of years is repress all of this pagan symbolism or hijack it or miss or you know retranslate it in their own way re-legion it so let's step back a little bit it's sure the goat and the <laughs> ape because it's it's Go it's, and a, ape. it's a it's a big concept to try and wrap your head around like a lot of people yeah. have toyed with the idea of um humanity and pigs being linked because there's so many similarities between us but a yeah. goat and an ape now in this mythology or this story is there a greater power that combined these two like a creation yes. side behind it who, who are the it's creators in this who's it's the creators behind this creation. yeah uh, so the creation behind it is uden the name is uden and uden was the sun but uden was also they would say uden is everything like literally everything he's the sun he's in you he's in everything but so this the, this source of course uh kind of basically beams down this root language this primary language into the first two humans that come out of these goat and ape combination which are Frey and freya these are the first two humans born and um yeah it's in they're imbued with this natural language that's how the box saga describes it and what's interesting to me is that anthropological evidence all over the place shows that early humans would follow animals constantly not just to hunt them or forage from their feces or something like that but also to to copy their movements and to follow them when things got rough or seasons were changing because the animals always knew instinctively where to go and how to live and the thing is when you get into astrotheology and you start to understand that a lot of the symbolism that we've come to understand over the past couple thousand years is actually like instructions on how to live properly throughout the year in a way, that's kind of, to me, it seems like the primary language that is, um, is being imbued into them, in a way, is this, this understanding from their animal side, from that evolution that is partially real. You know, it's, it's, it's still where we came from. It's like we evolved from the animal kingdom. We are the animal kingdom. And it's just latent in us to understand the seasons and understand how to do everything. So... Yeah, if that made any sense. Like, well, yeah, it does. It, kind of, I'm just making a few little light bulb connection moments. Yeah, please. Here yeah. A lot this of is the language. type of conversation that always will branch off yeah. into many different like areas. A lot, of, a lot of language you just specified. Um, Uden is quite clearly, Odin. you can see a nod towards Odin, but not just that. Obviously. I, I thought of Eden. Eden was everything <laughs> for the first people. Um, Freya and Freya, clearly Norse gods. Um but when we talk about it was two animals creating a human, if we look back at human evolution through the mainstream lens, modern day humans are not a simple homo sapien. Homo sapiens are a combination of interbreeding and intermixing between different human species. Mm. Um, and if you took a biblical lens on that, that's almost uh, like the tribe of Dan laying with the animals of the field and creating the uh, the 13th tribe or the... Um, people who aren't connected to God because there are right. this combination of different creatures. So that's just, just jumping around my head as you were speaking. So we've got this idea that humans uh, have been made by a copulation of ape and a goat, which then gave us <laughs> Freya and Freya and Freya. Where does it go to yes. beyond there? What does it say about all the 
we've got humanity is so broad and and so diverse how does it right. take into account the different races of humans and i know this might be a bit controversial in, about it but it's still a conversation we should sure. have yeah let's go for it well before we go there remind take me back there if i get lost but sure um first oh, i think it would be interesting to go into the how, like the place that they were supposedly born it was a uh, hole it was a hole at the very top of the earth and in this cosmology, in this mythology, this Vinamonan mythology, the top of the earth, the North Pole, was hell. That was the name of it. And it was actually Helsinki. And this myth also proposes another big one to suspend disbelief that a cataclysm happened after the paradise time, which lasted tons, a very long time. After the paradise time, this cataclysm tipped the the earth like a pole shift of some kind, and Helsinki ends up where it is today. Uh, it's pretty wild that this um, hell, this hole where they were born, they referred to it as the whole E. And that gets into the root language aspect mm -hmm. of it. The E is very important, which is actually a lowercase I. And I've looked into that too. And there's a lot of linguistic information regarding that even the letter A is representative of the, the, the I as in one and stuff like that. So it goes back to that. But yeah, see, I'm jumping all over the place. That's okay. I'm um, gonna, the I'm holy, gonna... right? The holy, we consider things holy. That's the kind of story this is where as you go through it, your entire contemporary culture is going to be ripped out from under you as and give you origins for words that honestly will pretty much blow your mind once you get into some of the etymology of it. All right. I'm going to go back to the mainstream and, and tap into what you've just said. So the earth for the longest time was a paradise, right? Paradise being Eden. Parody, <laughs> yeah, they call it the paradiset. But if we think about, if we go through the mainstream understanding what the earth has been like, Earth was a paradise for millions of years. Now, this was a time of dinosaurs. There were, there were not polar ice caps at one point anywhere on the north or the south. The entire Earth was a paradise. Green, yeah. lush, supporting life. Supposedly, we Tropical. were struck. Yeah, supposedly was struck by a, a meteor, which wiped out the dinosaurs, which in my thinking could quite easily throw the tilt of the planet off and move its so. point. Um, not to mention our point and northern point on the planet, the magnetic poles, they do wobble and shift from time to time. So it's not completely dismissive to think that it was at one point in Helsinki. Right, right. Yeah, see, like that's the thing. Like, it takes a lot of suspension of disbelief. But then once you get into the nitty gritty of some of the scientific and geographic evidence that has been presented, like even primary evidence and anthropology and stuff like that, you start to go, wow, okay, there may be some weird connections to some of this stuff. And uh, even, uh, you know, shout out to my buddy Narco Longo from Old World Florida. He's uh, presented a lot of information regarding Florida and the whole East Coast of America being connected to uh, these European Atlanteans and everything. It's it's all kind of tied in. It's pretty wild. Yeah, and I think but, the, hard, uh, yeah. the hardest part about Box Saga is it spans over such a unbelievably long span of time that I don't think humans can fully comprehend. Even if you studied it your lifetime, that amount of time and the changes right. through time, it's so hard to wrap your head around. Nor can we really account for it. Unfortunately, like that's the thing, you know, Randall Carlson, Graham Hancock, all these guys. I mean, everybody stops at this. Who were they? 
You know, that's all we really get in the mainstream. And I'm considering that mainstream at this point. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) It's everywhere. And which is, which is also kind of concerning in a way, you know, to some degree, to some degree. And I said something recently to a friend and, and I really hold true to this, that controlled opposition, I think has more to do with subject matter than it does individuals. I really believe that. Um, take it for what you, what you will, you know? Um, but I do think that regardless of who is saying it, I do think that's interesting what is getting out there and what's not being suppressed. I mean, Graham Hancock's getting attacked, sure, but by nobody we take, we, we take seriously. No, we, just immediately, we immediately say, well, where are they getting their money from? And like, what, what is that stake for them? You know, and at the surface level, it's at least their reputation and career in, in history and stuff like that, you know, at least on the surface. You don't even have to go into any clandestine shit to acknowledge that, you know? No, and it's important to remember that how many people are out there are, are controlled opposition air quotes, but don't even realize they are. They could Bingo. genuinely believe what they believe and they've been fed information somewhere along the lines for a purpose. And unfortunately for a lot of people out there who are giving us information, they may not know they're even being played or used. Absolutely. And I honestly, this is something to talk about, man, because, and it's nothing cruel or, or, disheartening even really because there's there's so many of us that have our hearts and minds in the right place and we're just we're saying we're i love everyone that's kind of just staying on their toes and looking into things continuously and never really collapsing on any absolutes necessarily i mean you know i understand when you do but like it's good to just kind of constantly keep an open mind as these things evolve and change you know what i mean yeah absolutely Let's reel it back in. I really want to see what Box Saga has to say about how the Caucasoid people came into this world. Because if you go off the basis of out of Africa theory, you would surmise that everyone would be melanated. Even over so many hundreds of thousands of years in Europe, your skin wouldn't demelanate to that extent. So what's the the idea behind that? So the Box Saga has it that at the beginning in the paradise time, we were all black. So that satiates a huge amount of our, our alternative history and, you know, counterculture, like, yep, still there amongst this very white story. In the beginning, we were all black. We were all very out of Africa, isn't it? So we were all tropical as fuck. Like that was the planet. And that's what you were saying before. This is a time period, supposedly when the planet was tropical entirely and it was upright. So they were all uh, living with the sun going around 365 and perfect sunlight and darkness equal. Um, And they set it up as a caste system and they had ring systems like uh, concentric rings, like the Atlantis story Mm -hmm. all over the world, supposedly Northern hemisphere, Southern hemisphere, but still this one in the North, this hell, Udenma is also what the area was called after Uden, like Uden's first place or something. Um, That was still, the all father that was the all father of all fathers but every ring system around the planet had these all fathers it was all very fractal and that kind of don't let me get too sidetracked but that goes into that animal mentality uh as well but we can go down that path another time so after this paradise time there's this cataclysm which they refer to as ragnarok which we know carries over into norse mythology 
it stays around as it all became Christianized and Catholicized. But this Ragnarok tips the earth and covers most of the planet, like 85% of the planet. Nice. And basically everyone's dead. Like Which would happen if there was an asteroid strike and enough debris was thrown into the atmosphere. It would bring about a, a nuclear, nuclear winter. winter. So yeah. Absolutely. So when this happens, the story claims that, you know, Helsinki ends up where it is today and everything tips. Keep in mind, Antarctica in the beginning in, in uh, paradise time would have been somewhere not at the pole or anything like that anyway. So when this happens, they, they claim that the Gulf Stream that comes up out of Mexico and goes all the way up into the Finnish coast and in the Gulf um, kept the area warm and the water's warm and the air warm enough to keep it habitable. And that, I mean, they claim today that the temperatures and the climate was virtually pretty similar to what Helsinki's like today. Um, well, you know, during like the winter time. Um, but so it kept them alive and it kept hell from freezing over, which is another <laughs> little pun that it's like, wait, what, where does that term come from? It's like, when you say that, that expression, you're talking about something that usually that would never happen, you know, when hell freezes over. And of course, in this story, hell did not freeze over while the rest of the world suffered. So when this happened, they called this time period, Altlant East all land ice. And this is where supposedly we get Atlantis from. Now I do believe that this makes sense because over time, this phonetic term just becomes a word instead of a phrase instead of, uh, because this was a phonetic language originally. So when this happens, the lower parts of the, the hemisphere that didn't get completely covered in ice we're we're like still sort of thriving according to the box saga there were still kingdoms that were you know thriving where there wasn't ice but they were so disconnected from this that they they were cut off completely in hell so this hell was a thriving place for thousands and thousands of years supposedly through this ice age and through that time period they advanced they made you know, extreme advancements, probably not only with technology, but also mostly with nature. I mean, we're thinking about a very nature-driven pagan culture. This is like supposedly the original pagan culture. So it's all natural sciences, I'm assuming. So you can imagine how advancements like that would be the magic that is constantly talked about when we get to all these gods descending from quote-unquote heaven, which also back then this hell meant home, complete heaven that's what this word supposedly means according to box saga so isn't that a fucking huge so this claim this this hell where um these people were living during this cataclysm you're talking Mm -hmm. about concentric circles how many concentric circles were there because i'm making connections with the seven layers of hell oh interesting well i don't know how many concentric circles specifically but i think honestly we could go towards the studies that people have done into Atlantis itself for that, because I think there's, that's the cool thing about box saga. It just frames things differently. It doesn't necessarily say that your research is full of shit. And I like that. It kind of includes like a wide 
breadth of information and and category that we all kind of have our own niches for and we all like that it doesn't do away with them it just kind of reframes them unfortunately in a large number of cases it reframes part of it in a way that people really don't like you know similar to when people that don't like any of this alternative stuff um get talked to about it they get aggressive you know when you try to take away the aliens and stuff people get kind of mad because aliens are so <laughs> but, fun that's why but back to the white people so just like arctic fox and polar bears and things like that they say that this massive time period of staying in the ice in this cutoff place surrounded by glaciers that were a mile high um they're you know they eventually became brighter skinned basically and their eyes became blue and green rather than darker everything their hair became red or blonde um so this story exists saying that on its own meanwhile we have so many connections to that description in our ancient lore from around the world talking about gods yeah the um the progenitors of a lot of the new world cultures uh, depicted as redheads with uh, shining white skin and blue eyes or green eyes um, mesoamerica's massive for it easter island a lot of what you would call first nations people have those gods within their lexicon and their their knowledge base the shiny ones mm-hmm. <laughs> and if anyone's ever seen me topless at the beach i am a shiny one yeah yeah so that's <laughs> the thing you know <laughs> um but yeah, so that's their explanation for white folks, basically. And it's great because if we could progress with that, we can get to more of the other myths that it aligns with too, like the Nephilim and all these things, how they, so the Nephilim story to me is like Romeo and Juliet. And so is this, it's, it's this forbidden love between the, the North and the South. And it inevitably happens when the, ice age the this altland east period starts to fade away when the ice begins to move and melt first it causes destruction which is included in the atlantis story right it's it's destroyed one way or the other in the atlantis stories we hear this one is a description that says uh, like a time where the ice was scraping the crust of the earth and eventually it scraped and destroyed udenma so while this happened they had to they had to bust through and you know into areas that were already melted away and they were starting to be able to leave this cutoff area of Udenma and hell and um this is where we start to get you know our flood myths eventually and our like you know the progenitors kind of coming down and giving mathematics and all these different uh cultural agriculture and all those types of things this is very husbandry yeah very much a graham hancock um approach where the more advanced or more sophisticated people were forced out of their own homeland scattered across the world and wherever they landed they tried to put down roots and tried to bring up the people that were there when they arrived Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's it's you know it's it all seems pretty wild but until you get into the nitty-gritty of it you know that's why we're just we i want to expose as many people to it as i can because I think the more people we talk to about this, the more we can kind of root out what's what and what doesn't need to be in play anymore. You know, we, we got to put it all on the table here because I think 
there's a constant theme in our community that is the powers that be want to make sure we don't know our own power. And what the box saga has done to my brain, whether it's a good thing or not, has it's taken my toys away too, you know, because I look at it now like, well, what a better way to take our power away right from the very beginning. We already admit that we're orphans and we were forced to not know who the hell we are. We're species with amnesia. Yeah. So give it away, give it away to aliens, give it away to fairies, give it away to elves, give it away to all these other things that brought the magic to the world and have the magic and have the power and all that kind of thing. Uh, The angels, the gods. And I know this sounds drastic and there's a lot of nuance to this because I too, I also am uh, an avid and longtime user of psychedelic drugs (laughs) and meditation and, and things like that. And I am very, very aware and open to mystical experiences of entities and things like that. And I'm not taking any of those toys from anybody and i'm keep in mind too there is nuance to this where we can get into it if you want but i'm sure you've got a lot of great questions so far so i want to stick with what you've got already but we can go down this path if you want where we kind of expose how and why in different places we can kind of prove that these were humans these are all humans and it's loosely connected to the saga but the saga just acts as kind of like a keystone for it you yeah. know, it's like it, it's a it's a gateway to see a gateway back to humanity. I've been saying rehumanizing antiquity. Absolutely. And this is the part that I struggle with. And it's definitely that take away the toys kind of bit because you can't help. Right. Feel like you're connected to things. And and like you said, people have these interactions. People absolutely um, claim that they've seen aliens, say that they've seen fairies, have seen trolls, all these things throughout the span of history and time. And it can be quite confronting if you try to say that um, or suggest that these were people. And my head's wrapping around the idea that, you know, it's either two possibilities or three rather, three possibilities. They are these spiritual otherworldly entities. That's just the way it is. They were just humans. Or it's a possibility that maybe they could link back to those 12 different types of humans. Because if you've got 12 different types of humans, all their own physical traits, um, Neanderthals could be quite easily construed as trolls or ogres. Um, yeah. Homo florensis is quite easily a little person, a dwarf, a gnome. Um, fairies, the fae. That's a physical way of looking at it. But there's also the idea that if these Utenman people, these people that came from the north, they were so advanced and sophisticated and connected to nature, what's to say that when they pass, they don't come back and present themselves in different ways? and mm. encounter humanity um i'm just thinking about like when people think about encounters with angels you see those connections with ufo experiences with seeing loved ones that have passed what's yep. to say that these super advanced knowledgeable people aren't coming back in the forms of pixies and fairies and things along those lines well that's an interesting take i like that i like that and i'm really open-minded to 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 where we go from it i'm just kind of presenting what i what i find about these these uh these words mostly in in history and then where can we take it from here and like you said the taking away the toys thing where i have the i have toys too i i have all these experiences too you know and i think the the where it lies is the language and my god man you can you can 
take it back to the damn language every time, you know, the Tower of Babel, right? I mean, it's always in the confusing of tongues, right? So what have they done? They've hijacked, like they always do. They've hijacked the most important experiences we can have. Those that are going to link us back to nature, to the idea of uh, connectedness, like no separation. The fact that like, we look at all these things as, as exterior. We look at all these things as outside of ourselves. Not that it's all in our heads, but that it's something that's not part of us, right? Because we don't see this world as all as ourselves, as all of each other, as the, you know, this whole experience itself. I mean, this is getting real psychedelic, but you can't not, you can't not go down this kind of spiritual talk if you're going to talk about how this, this language has kind of trapped us where we go back and we look at our history and they've framed it. And I I've been able to point to like a, a decent amount of times, like where it started to happen, where Can they I started to frame these things in a more mystical way on purpose. And my suggestion is it is to take away from what that experience that we all are connected to really is because it would mean that we're all one and we know that that's a constant theme we all if they if we ever realize we're all oh, they are fucked and you know like well who's fucked then no one's fucked. you know can i throw so a like, few a few little things at you please, to see if yes. you make some connections yes now this is just my love of my own family history of being someone who's scottish and danish in descent that if you look at when the roman empire entered britain the primary tribes were the picts um and the Celts and along those lines. The Picts in particular. Yep. If we look at the Picts, thinking about a, a race of people who are living in nature, off the land, um, grazing, not necessarily farming so much, you would think naturally they would have a, a smaller stature. Not tiny little Pixies, but maybe uh, average person's height, shorter than that. Maybe yeah. four foot five, five something five like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. They also had an affinity for woad paint, which is a blue tattoo. They'd either tattoo yes. it on their skin or co cover themselves in blue paint. Ironically, a lot of gods we see, particularly in the subcontinent of India, are depicted with blue skin. If you're mm -hmm. a Roman soldier who's a newer culture and you come across these shorter people who are painted living in the forest, hiding, they would seem quite mystical. And there's a very easy jump from picked to pixie in the lexicon of vocabulary. Oh, it gets closer. Because in Cornwall, England, they were known as the Pict She, P-I-C-T hyphen S-I-D-H-E, the Pict Seed. And you know what they did? They held round table courts, <laughs> round table courts. Very authoritative. So these were the fairy circles because these were the fair folk. Yeah, we have Faye, F-A-E, but this A-E, that combination of the A and the E together, that goes back to Acer. And Acer is the name of the people that lived in hell. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. that, that in the Norse, it's there that they are the, the godlike people, the Asir. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's the interesting part. The Acer and Vonner people are technically in Norse mythology, but they, they, yeah, they immortalize them. They turn them into gods mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, meanwhile, the Acer lived in, in hell and the Vonner, which meant one, the one people lived outside of hell. And there was the root language and the Von language. 
And supposedly the combination of the two is English. <laughs> and what's crazy is my co-host on Roots of Creation, Joke Hagstrom, who's from Sweden, has done extensive research on this for years and years. And he was close with Jim Chesner and had hours and hours and has them all recorded of conversations about these topics. He has both these languages in his head. He has the Finnish language and the Swedish language in him. And he says that that's the real key, that really the people that have those two languages fluently in their heads, it's going to connect the, the root language connects in a way that it's undeniable. And he's, I've met people through him that have said the same thing because of those two language, the, that language combination. I oh, know we lost him again. And there I recently had, well, not recently, but I sort of recently had a friend on from, Oh, there we oh. go. We're back. You got me. Yep. Shit. That's okay. Where did I trail off? Where did I? Um, it was, I you were just talking about how there's the two different languages within the mind at the same time. Oh, okay. and if you've got with, those concepts with my buddy, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's basically what I was saying. Yeah, so pretty much that uh, that combination, like a spark goes off, and and it's the understanding the box saga's root language becomes like undeniable. So point. is it alluding to that the root language is English or something close to English? The root line. Oh, maybe, maybe I cut off the root language and the Vaughn language, the one. So I, I, you know, let me start a little bit over just because I'm not sure. <laughs> sure we got cut off, but, so in, in, in the, in hell, there was the root language, which was spoken by the Acer people. And then outside of, of that, that holy place, the holy outside of that place was the Vaughn people that spoke the Vaughn language. And supposedly the Vaughn language and the root language are like basically what brought about the Germanic language of the, that led to English. And that's why we have so many double meanings that, and it feels like English is coded and stuff like that. There's a lot of interesting connections there, but my co-host Yoke on roots of creation has Finnish and Swedish in his head. And he says that that's the combination. He says that that is the key to really making the box saga, you know, spark in your head and go, oh my God, it's undeniable. Right. Interesting. That's yeah, pretty crazy. Now, in my understanding of box saga, that it was, you'll have to tell me exactly who it is because I've only looked at this at a surface level. There sure. were, there was a king and he had two sons and the two sons went off and created different kingdoms. Oh, that's uh, like my favorite part. Now this is what I'm really interested about this one because I'd like to know which of my ancestries line up or if I'm a mixture of the two. So I'm half Scottish and half Danish. Um, where does that link up to? <laughs> so, well, I can't, so I can't answer that directly, but if you want, we can, I can pull up a clip that I could share screen with you. Yeah. And we good. can listen to the audio. Yeah, of Jim Chesner talking about it. it's a little bit like probably a little long, but it's really awesome. But um, okay. Shit. I lost where we were. What, it's, <laughs> where, what <laughs> about, am I answering? Uh, about, uh, it's the story of the King Lin Box saga whose yeah, sons okay. went off and created different kingdoms or different peoples. So this is wild. This is so cool. And it's so phonetic and it's so weird. But supposedly this these two sons from the from the Acer during Altalantes um, wanted to break away. They were the 13th and 14th sons. And this system was very rigorous about uh, conception and, and reproduction. And it was 
basically that in paradise time, everything was all in balance, the way they had society structured and how we reproduce and everything to the point where we were never out of balance in population with nature. It wasn't, it wasn't like it is now where we're trying to fucking kill everybody or anything. We were just another species living on the earth with nature in harmony. So these guys in this system didn't fit because the 12, 12 kids had their roles, but these two extra kids during this time period didn't have any roles, but they wanted to be kings. So they called themselves the We Kings, the V Kings. So that's where you get Viking from, supposedly. And these two kings, Dan and Sven, go set out in two different directions. Dan makes the mark of Dan in uh, Denmark. And, uh, gets Denmark. And Sven goes to uh, Uppsala and creates Sweden. And that's the story, supposedly, of how Sweden and Denmark came to be. And Jim Chesner, the late Jim Chesner, who was very close with Eeyore Bach, uh, goes into great detail of which white people came from which place originally. And it's pretty cool. If you want, I can pull it up. It may take me a second to find, but yeah, it's no worries. Cool. While you're finding that, I'm just making connections with, you look at biblical scripture, there's a line of two sons that created two different parts of humanity. Tribe of mm. Dan comes up. So Dan, Denmark, Tribe of Dan um yeah you're seeing those elements really come across in in different aspects of of culture and faith aren't you yeah man it's unbelievable where it takes me because i'm irish and i love love irish folklore and history and i've been to ireland and i've walked on giant's causeway and it's just amazing and you know right under my nose the box saga takes me into you know back into my irish folklore love and i'm like oh my god Look at all this information. It's unbelievable. You know, we have the Tuatha de Danan, and this is supposedly the people or tribe or children of Danu, this goddess Danu. However, Danu is like the least spoken about goddess in Irish folklore. You can't really find much information about her. And it's interesting. They, you know, there's many people that hypothesize that it's not even Danu. It's, it's she, that name represents another goddess. But really, I mean, it's interesting that you have that Dan name in there you know and then you have the danube river and it it, these stories link all these areas together it's unbelievable and the twa the day danan were of course these great white light beings that showed up on the on the shores of ireland and uh you know they came of bright flames in the sky meanwhile it was common practice amongst like the picks and the um the invading i can't remember some of their names the the milesians to burn their ships and basically to to to, uh just deter cowards from turning back from battle and shit like that once they got there they were there until they could build more ships you know these were the sea people and of course we know how prominent this seafaring culture is when you start getting into the nitty gritty behind the mythology and where all these characters come from, like Ea and Enki and all. Especially when you talk about the Phoenicians and how aligned that is to phonetics. Exactly, man. I mean, that's, it's glaringly staring us in the face at that level. And the Phoenicians, you know, that's where my boy Narco Longo takes us. You know, it all comes from like this Phoenician language and all these Phoenician people. It's unreal, man. Interestingly enough, side note, I actually recently got chat GPT to like contradict itself 
and have to like apologize to me about where certain words came from. I asked it to find the, or I asked it where the origins for angel and angle were, and if there was any connections. And it's immediately said there was no connections and that it showed me a Greek origin for angle, I believe, and a uh, Semitic origin for angel. And then I said, but the Phoenicians had concepts in their language that relate to these before any of these languages existed. And it was like, yes, the Phoenicians. And it went on and on about the Phoenicians. <laughs> and at the end it said, uh, it, is, uh, it is understood that the words angel and angle come from the Phoenician, lang- the Phoenician alphabet. And I'm like, well, you just contradicted yourself. And it asked me to point out where it contradicted itself. And I, I told it. Because, oh, yes, I forgot that it, it told me, of course, that everything came from Latin. These, these, mm. these two, you know, the Semitic and Greek obviously rooted were rooted in Latin and stuff like that. And then, uh, it had to take that back and say it, they came from the Phoenician alphabet. Sorry for that gobbledygook. Okay. But now, yeah. To play devil's advocate on that, and I think we have to do that at times. Oh, absolutely. Is there, I've often thought about language like this because I've been delving really deeply into um, the phonetics of language and how we decode the English language in particular and why it's so difficult to learn compared to other languages. Yeah. That it's a lot like, language is a lot like music. Um, you know that a lot of songs now are starting to sound very similar because there's only so many note combinations and chord progressions that you can create without things sounding similar. So right. is it, you think it's a possibility that language can only create so many sounds before it starts sounding similar or is it that they all come from a base oh, well i mean hmm, that's so that sounds like it sounds like the same thing yeah a little bit you know <laughs> um yeah yes and yes i think <laughs> if that makes any sense because i do think it's there's a limit to to how many sounds there are made especially when you look at the language polar opposites say like japanese or say chinese and english two very different language families and you can have the same sound Mm. like a ch but they can mean very different things in each language like that's the same sound but meanings can be different that's the only thing i was i have to entertain when thinking about um sounds like looks like is like that's the only thing i have to absolutely skeptical lens on just to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable at the same time i and i you know i think where i'm at right now the the only thing i could hypothetically say you know if i were to to try to frame that from the box saga i would say it it goes back to the tower of babel and the confusing of tongues right Mm -hmm. there's a reason why these sounds are the same but they mean different things to different people meanwhile we're starting to realize that regardless of where it is and which story is right and wrong we are we come from a common family we are one family i've been working with this idea of the family feud the endless family feud and i think it's an ideological one for sure maybe that ties into black hats and white hats you know (laughs) what's a perfect way to keep us separated and arguing isn't it we've all making the same sound but we've got different ideas of what it means yeah, I mean, especially when you demonize a lot of words too. I mean, we've talked about that already. It's, it's even this itself is a very controversial topic just on that alone that we're kind of, you know, we're saying we already have a connotation attached to angel, right? And if I'm saying it's a human, then that's, that's extremely offensive, right? But it's only because of the connotation we've been given. You know, like that's, that's the problem. And we like, we need to re, you know, take back our experiences, you know, and we can still keep these words, but like even the word Elvin 
goes back all the way. You trace the etymology, it goes back and it means white. It's nuts. It's everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> that's what I got to say. It's just crazy, man. And it's not the only view. I know it's not the only view, but that's, that's where I'm at right now. Cause I'm trying to see that they've, they've tried to hide history and they try to fuck up all of our spiritual experiences, right? They, right. Why not get two birds stoned at once, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is the best way you, you remove history by fictionalizing it and you take the fiction and you, you, you use it as gatekeeping for all of our spiritual experiences. I'm sure it you're like, right to me. I'm sure you're like a lot of other people where you see things that have happened in the world and the symbolism that's everywhere, how you do see a lot of that satanic symbolism. But like you said at the yes. start, that a lot of that symbolism you can draw back to box saga. Do you think this has been co-opted and inverted for a reason? Yes. And it's not always for negative reasons either. A lot of times it was to hide. I think we forget that too, that inversion sometimes is, is, is like to hide in plain sight, not just for bad guys. Yeah. But then again, I'm not supposing good or bad or, or evil or anything like that. This story kind of reframes good and evil because a lot of the words that we even have that relate to evil, uh, at least according to the box saga painted as a very like mundane word or term or something that doesn't add up even their story it's pretty funny about about devil they claim that it's literally saying the wheel and the wheel supposedly is a swastika that's spinning yeah it's and a sundial it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the black sun that helps tell us when I'm to glad, crop thank and you, when to thank farm you for and that yep yep and so it's when you do that suddenly and it's funny too because it's so hard to to like keep that all in mind while you're following all these other conspiratorial lines that end in satanic this and satanic that it's like it's so great that they're so genius they just wanted to like hide under word underneath words that aren't true to them you know it's it's so bizarre so weird man especially in the world today that I'm only mentioning this because I saw it on the news I know right watching the news what an idiot so there's a story <laughs> Like my state is pretty hard on anti-Semitic, um, any kind of talk, hate speech. Oh, of but, course. But we've also got Nazi symbolism laws now in Victoria and New South Wales, a state above me, where if you have any Nazi symbols depicted, it's like $11,000 fine and time in prison. And yeah. the symbols aren't Nazi symbols. They are co-opted symbols of an ancient past. And because they've brought yeah. these laws in, you can't even delve into what the history of the world really is because of fear of prosecution and and to be labelled as a, uh, a right-wing extremist. Like, that's the biggest pointer for me, that there's something to this and something is deliberately being hidden from us. Otherwise, imagine why how, would they go to such efforts to hide it? Right, exactly. I, and imagine how controversial a show on the History Channel would be if it was called Ancient Aryans. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they had to create yeah. the term proto-Europeans in its place. Right, Yeah. It's unreal, man. So where would you like to go? Oh, do you want me to play a little bit of that gym piece? That yeah, Jim that'd be Chesner good. Thing? Okay, cool. I don't remember how long it is. I posted it on Instagram a while back, but let's see. Share screen. Oh, host disabled participant screen sharing. Uh, well, I'll have to turn it back on. You know what's funny? Is, is it on now? Oh, am, I, am I good? Am I good? Yes. Sweet. Yes, cool. 
All right, cool, cool, cool. Let's How could I not have the deep share share something? That would be just offensive. <laughs> All right, are you seeing my Instagram here? Yeah. Uh, has started. There we go. It's up now. Cool. Okay, let's see if I can. Do you hear that? Yep. Where Helsinki is today, the, the new name for hell. And there they start to live. They start to create one new logical race of people which spread out over Russia. So the Finnish people and the Russian people, they're exact same people. They spoke Finnish language until 800 years ago. But something happened in the family. Sometimes when they were trying to make many, many children quickly, they had more than 12 sons. And these more than 12 sons could be ambassadors. They could be information people going out. But in this case, two of these brothers, the 13th and 14th son, they had no title in the family because it was only the 12 sons that had the title. So these two brothers, these two kings they wanted to become kings so they decided not to go back to finland not to go back to hell to be part of this osir system there and one of these brothers was called don and one was called Sven. and they were we two kings they were the v kings and these two brothers one Sven, he goes to Uppsala, where Uppsala, sweden is today and there he makes his capital and he starts one article race of person there and from his seed, from the seed of Sven, comes the Norwegians, the Icelandic, the Greenland people, the Scottish people, and the Irish people. They come from the seed of this Swedish king. Don, the other brother, the other of the two brothers, he goes down to Denmark. He makes the mark of Don, and mark means land, so the land of Don. And this Don, from his seed, comes two kings in Germany. I think their name is uh, Gottrip and Brandenburg. And these first two seeds is Brandenburg is where Berlin is. And this Gottrip, I think, is where the Lubeck is. I could be mistaken on this, but I put this in. But anyway, the king, the king line of Germany or Saxon, they're coming from the Danish from his seed. And from this German and from this Danish, from this source story comes the Austrian, the Swiss, the Dutch, the Holland people, the Belgian people, the English people. So the English is a different race than the Scottish and the Irish. They are another race. They're from the Sven line, whereas England is coming from the in the Dan line, all the way down to France. So all this Western Europe is coming out from the seed of the Dan. Well, there you go. Vikings, these first two that lines up exactly with, like, very closely with what you would see in the transplanting of different peoples oh, across western europe there's 10 tropical races the oldest white race is the finnish and the russians these are the original white people on the planet the second and third white people is the dan the danish and the swedish and this is his gauntlet story it's probably more to it but anyway this is where they came oh, it looks like having technical France. difficulties again uh, oh no oh, there we go better there oh, we go we're back Back. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you you got plenty of it. Oh, yeah. Sure, I got I'm the sure. idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That lines up a lot with what you see with Robert Zepper's work as well. That mm. you have in Robert Robert Zepper's work, it's more a single source, but this right. lines up more with the the phonetic differences, like how you see Finnish um, is so distinctly different from other Norse languages, and it has a oh, lot yeah. of a lot of time what we you consider Slavic. Um, yes. But looks like, according to this, that 
Slavic <laughs> came from that initially. Right. Which right. does make a lot of sense, um, especially the way you say its language now. And definitely you see that the, it, the English are a very different um, group of people compared to those in Britain. They're, they're a subplant. They've come from the, the Angles and the Saxons. So they're mm-hmm. a Germanic root people, whereas the rest of them are Celtic or um, Pictish in nature. So it does hit a lot of those main ideas you see replicated in what you consider mainstream history. And this is just a small, small example. Uh, so this is a very oral story, like I said, and the, the continuation of it and the telling of it all and putting history together under this umbrella uh, is all on the internet. And it's just thousands of hours of interviews and, and lectures and, you know, people talking together about these things. A lot of it goes back to like VHS and it's really, you know, grimy to watch. Uh, it's, it's insane how detailed it is. And it covers so much ground that it's really kind of almost offensive to suggest that this Eeyore Bach just made it all up. I mean, I, maybe he twisted some of it. Maybe he made some of it his own. I don't know. When I talk to Yoke, who has the language, I don't, you know, he, he fights against that. You know, he has his reasons. He has a lot of logical reasons and explanations for things that, you know, many kind of gloss over or just haven't heard yet. This is yeah. new. This is really new and fresh. And Even I though think... it came out in 84, it's still fresh because it hasn't gotten the, the coverage it needs. And now it's, I think it really is now. And it's interesting that even a very sacred site to the Bacchists, the people involved with this uh, is under threat of being, you know, the bank has like basically, you know, recalled their loan or something like that. They need the money now. So they had to sell and it's crazy. It's a whole other part of it. It's, it's nuts where we do have possible evidence or could have evidence. It's slowly been tried to, they've been trying to take it away and mm. not be able to give us access. It's interesting. That's a whole nother thing, but we can get into it. Yeah. We could keep going down this for hours and hours. I think the important thing is that remain skeptical because that's a, probably a great way to be looking into anything still entertain the idea, have a look at it. Um, yes. I think the, the biggest things that I find are a challenge to me at the moment, and I'll admit it, that Box Saga hits on so many topics and so many areas for me. It seems too good to be true at this point. But at the same time, right. that's, what, that's what makes me want to keep looking into it. That's what you have to do, right? I mean, so that's how all, the, all of them end, right? It's too good to be true. And then you, you find something that or you have to just throw it all away or something. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I want more <laughs> debate more. And the thing is I've had a couple, not de- not full blown debates, but at least debatable questions or, you know, conversations about certain aspects. And unfortunately they're not satisfying they're, They have not satisfied the questioning, you know, it's, it's either, Oh man. Yeah. So one, uh, I- I think that's a problem though. When we try to debate things like this, it's probably not something that should be debated more so just discussed because it's just answering questions with questions. And it's, I don't think on either side of anything, you don't really have a lot of settled information. It's settled to you to a certain point, but sure. Is anything really, is anything really the truth (laughs) anymore? That's a good, that's fair. That's fair. I guess what I'm getting at, and I'll give you a great example is that, um, uh, Michael Tessarian talks talked about this recently with Yoke actually, and I I'm not sure if they were he was talking directly about my show or our show that we've done or or just in general people talking about the box saga that the, those who discredit it or try to discredit it always use established history to discredit it, and 
you know, he gets real fiery about like, you know, what, what are you talking about? You're using the exact strategy that they're using to hide, hide everything from us to explain this away. It's, it's pretty intense. Sounds like I the flat earth topic debate, doesn't it? Too. A little bit. Yeah. In a like way. Using estab- because- established science to prove something that, you know, we all know that there's lies and everything. So right. I, get, I get where you're coming from. It's how can you use something that we know is, has been lied about and exposed multiple times as an argument. It's a very hard place to navigate. So more power to you to try and do that. The most important one there is the, um, the third Ragnarok. There's three Ragnaroks. The third one is, is by human hands. It's when the Catholics supposedly annihilate all these original heathen people. And uh, you know, the heathens have to, there's a couple of them that escape and have to live in hiding. And of course the Da Vinci code hijacked that whole concept. And um you know, they bury the treasure and supposedly we're opening it now in, in Finland or trying to, but um, the, the Catholics come in and destroy everything. And um, supposedly that's where all, a lot of history got changed, you know, and a lot of re- repression happened. So it's like, how do you, how do you trust something that we already know has been completely annihilated to begin with? This could be just one little keystone in a group of keystones that can lead us back to what was really going on before everything was hijacked. Maybe, maybe not. Some yeah. would say, Oh, this is just the pagans trying to, you know, Satan, Satan, Satan. It's just what side of the fence are you on? I choose not to be on either and just try to see it all from as objective standpoint as I can. Yeah. And I, I can't blame people for jumping on the, it's, it's Satanism bandwagon because Look a lot at, of, yeah, a lot of evil shit's happening with that symbolism. So <laughs> absolutely. Like, and it tw- could twice burnt once shy. Like. I, I'll say it right now. Like, I don't think anyone that's alive today that is investigating or was close to Eeyore or anything is, is bad or negative. They're amazing people. And they've come forward with so much information. Heathens and pagans are not bad people, but there is so much of that coming back. Right. And it's framed as evil. And some of it seems really fucking Luciferian and evil and all that. So I think, again, we have this, you know, they often like to use human shields. That's how they operate. These fucking cowardice, reptilian, disgusting people. That's how they operate. They use the truth against us all the time. They twist real stories against us. They invert everything. It's a constant thing, but this could be like, no matter what, if the box log is true, all the evil fucks in charge have some role in that origin story too. Mm. And where we come from as a group of white people that also admittedly. So in this box saga, along with many other, you know, primordial tribes around the planet, they were very, keep it in the family, keep it in the culture. You know, they were, you know, alien was the other people in the you know the so i think there's a lot of the the aryan race and where the the nazis went with it and everything there is a hint of what this survival culture was doing back then in in keeping it all in the system they had it and everybody made it with the right person and all that so i think the evil and the good are rooted in our past mm-hmm. and it's really just happenstance that we have the, the it's set up the way we do now. And I think this archaic revival that's obviously coming back is good and evil. You know, it's both. Yeah. It's the person wielding it or their understanding Absolutely. of it that depicts what happens. Damn right. I'd, I'd really love to sit down with you and maybe some of the other guys someday and, and really dissect what the first nations people in Australia had to say about their creation and see if we can find any, 
interconnectedness or things like that. That'd be, I think, really important to look at. I think that would be wonderful, man. I've done it with like a couple different different areas of the world so far and i'm not done with those it's just there's more and more and more the more you look into primary source material it's unreal yeah all right to close out our show andy can you help the viewers out this is something i always like to do what is the point of box saga to you point of box saga to to me is the rediscovery of how simple things were and how simple and to the point everything is. Occam's razor, basically. And again, rehumanizing antiquity. That taking back all the power, not just some of it, all of it. Because ancient astronaut theorists say yes. That's the problem now. Every that series. I'm not saying out, it's aliens. Everything gets blamed on aliens now. But you're right. There's there's nothing wrong with simple either. Simple is good. Simple as the way things are supposed to be. It's not meant to be complicated in the way we look and engage yeah. in our world. Uh, Andy, and I think the complication is on purpose, right? Definitely. Where can people find you, Andy? They can find me on YouTube and Rockfin and Odyssey and all the podcast apps and social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm just the deep share on most of them. So that's where you'll find me. The deep awesome. share podcast. Fantastic. Thank Before you so jump much, out. This has been really great. Awesome. Before we jump out, put a message out to the listeners. I still don't have an intro for my show. I'm 11 episodes in now, just over a year. So I need some help from you guys. If you're someone who's talented in music and can help me out with an intro, it could be a song, it could be a a mashup of sound recordings, whatever. If you've got something to help me out, send it my way. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for joining me today, Andy. I look forward to seeing your research in the future, like you're really delving deep and I wouldn't be all surprised if you come out with a documentary and a book someday and I can't wait to get a signed copy. Oh, cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Who knows? Maybe I'll be that ambitious someday. <laughs> Thanks again for having me on, brother. I love no problem. this talk. This was great. Anytime, mate. You're welcome back. Open invitation. Hell yeah, man. Likewise. All right. See everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.